This is Radiance Tape number JD-161, the first of a two-part message by Jim Durkin, entitled Truth. Because there's something that is clearly stated in Scripture, but they're not widely known. Now, therefore, you need to pay careful attention, because something is developing that I think will be revolutionary in the church, because it's bringing to light some things which are not hidden or secret but simply they're not preached on much. The reason being that essentially the church, for a long period of time, now I grew up with this idea in mind, and the idea essentially was that I was to hear the word and agree to the word. In other words, whatever part of the word I heard, I would agree to. But nowhere did I hear that I really was to do the word in any serious sense of the word. It was not a thing, do the word. As a matter of fact, when I began preaching about doing the word, I was sharply reprimanded by some people as preaching nothing more than psychology or preaching perfectionism or preaching sinless. Uh, they went on with all kinds. I said, no, I'm not preaching any of those things. The Bible says we say we have no sin. We're a liar and the truth doesn't dwell in us. So that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying that the Bible would not have said to do the Word unless it were possible to do the Word. And if it's possible to do the Word, God wants us to do the Word. And if we don't do what He wants us to do, then I think we're sowing the seeds of our own pain and destruction. I've seen many Christians destroy their homes, destroy their futures, destroy their bodies and their minds, and certainly their ministries, because they never understood to do what God's Word says. So there has to be something very basic then enter into our spirit that these basic truths are in your heart. All right, now that's a very essential thing. Now, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer for me, that I can deliver this the way I know it to be in my heart. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of our Lord Jesus that you help us here tonight to grasp what is in your word about this subject. That, Lord, we will understand it, and if we do not understand it fully with our heads, certainly our hearts will take hold of it. And we will know the truth of it and begin practicing it. And then one day our heads will fully understand it. Grant that, Father. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. Now, the question that I'm asking here tonight, or the subject we're going to deal with, is the subject of truth. So you can put that down as a title. And then if you want to use like an outline form... You could use Roman numeral 1. Pilate asked a question of the Lord Jesus as he stood before him prior to the crucifixion. And the question he asked him, he said, What is truth? What is truth? Now, I would like to, first of all, deal with what truth is not. And I wish to say, just to give you a little basic thing here about truth, it is not what most people think it is. If you say what is truth, you ask that question, you get many different answers, but almost invariably the answer you get, and this is from the large, great majority of Christians, they will not give you or be able to give you an answer of what truth is. They will be just as confused about it as Pilate is confused about it. Yet not in their hearts are they confused. It's just that no one or they have never, in hearing it, now spiritual truth, I want to say something about it, is hard to retain by the human mind. The human mind does not wish to retain, almost re 
truth. Like he gets in there and you say, oh yeah, I heard that, I know that. And you can sometimes an hour later say, what was that? I don't remember that. I... See, it's the human mind until truth has firmly settled itself in the being and literally taken over the processes of the mind. The mind tends to throw it off and we don't even remember it. Such important concepts as purpose and vision, which I ministered this for three, three and a half years in gospel outreach, purpose and vision. Went up one time to Alaska, spoke to the elders there and said, can you tell me what purpose and vision is? They could not. Now, they had heard me minister that, now they can. See, it's finally fastened itself in their being, and they understand what God's purpose is, and therefore they have given themselves to that. The result of it, the fruit in the lives of the Christian shows that. See, whatever you are, if you're preaching the Word, or teaching the Word, or have oversight over people at all, or any influence you are, whatever you are, is all that your people will be. Rarely will one pass you by. They will almost be held locked in. That's why we've come together as pastors, ministers. We don't want our people to be locked in. I am locked in by my own limitations. Unless somebody helps me pass those limitations, I will grow very slowly and maybe not at all. I will get to the place where the pain is too great. I do not wish to grow anymore. But if another man comes alongside, and another man, another woman, with various other gifts that can help me over that place, then my growth will continue unhindered. Now, that's what we're here for. That's why many of us, pastor, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, for the equipping of saints, for the work of the ministry, that we all come to unity of faith and the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, and then finally the whole body building itself up in love. Now, see, it's something we're aiming at here. Now, what is truth? Well, let's look, first of all, what it is not. One, truth is not facts. Get that down. Say, these are the facts, that's the truth. No. No, the only thing that can be said about facts, maybe, is that they are true, but they are not truth. Facts and truth are two different things. Now, make that very clear in your mind. You're going to need it. And I'll tell you tonight that if you don't just say, Lord, what is he saying? I want to hear that now you will invariably go back to, because the world has trained us this way, give me the facts and I'll get the truth. You will never arrive at the truth by means of the facts. Impossible. And I'll show you that from Scripture. See, But yet our whole thinking is, I have the facts, I know I can... You will never arrive at the truth by means of the facts. Okay. However, facts can be a part of truth and make up truth in some... Well, I'll explain as we go along how it does, but it's, it's not the truth. All right. Now, a person would say, well, two and two is four. That's truth. No, that is only true. And it's only true in a very limited sense. Only in the decimal system of mathematics is it true. It is true in no other system of mathematics. Not true in a binary system. It's not true if you use a base 8. It's not true if you use a base 7, 6, 5. See, some of you may not be into mathematics at all, never even heard of such systems. But the thing I'm saying is that in our minds, we are just utterly convinced 2 and 2 is 4. That is true. That is true for all time. It is not true all the time. The binary system has no 2s in it, just 0 and 1. There is no 2. They say, where's 2 and 2? There is no 2 and 2. But the system works just as well as the decimal system. See? Facts are by the very nature of themselves 
very limited things. Right. Not all facts. We would never know for sure we had all the facts. In other words, let's say, if you say, well, okay, suppose, though, Jim, that I don't have this limited number of facts. Suppose I had all the facts. Well, I want to say because you are a limited individual, you would first place never know if you had all the facts. Have you ever been tripped up by a fact you didn't have? See, you'd study it out, you'd search it out. There's the decision I'm going to make. Man, the facts are clear and I'm... Oh, wow, there's a fact I didn't know about here. And it came up the next day and, oh, wow, the whole thing blown up and I... That's right. You can never know if you have all the facts. No matter how much you search it out, first place, you don't know if your mind can retain them. We'll go on to that. You don't know if you can get a proper weight to each of the facts if you did have all the facts. Suppose God were to say to you, now there are all the facts concerning the whole universe and everything that's in it, and all truth is there. Tell me, what is the truth? Your little peanut brain? My little peanut brain? All of us together searching these things out? And we're going to arrive at truth? No, we'd be a morass of confusion in a very short period of time. Turn with me, please, now, in your Bibles. To Ecclesiastes, the 8th chapter. Ecclesiastes, the 8th chapter. In verses 16 and 17. Now, here is the wisest man who ever lived up until the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I gave, he's speaking here now, when I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night. Now, he's talking about, he's going to do this searching out about wisdom and the task which he has with all of his powers. So one should never sleep day and night. And I saw every work of God. I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though he should seek, the man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. Now, see, let your mind then for all time be divested of the problem of trying to discover truth through knowledge. You will never discover truth through knowledge. We will discuss what truth is. First of all, you don't even know what truth is yet. We're defining what truth is, but it does not come that way. Now, you have to learn to accept the Word of God for what it tells you is true. For that is truth. We'll discuss the basics of truth. But that is truth. Okay. Now, nor could we properly weigh them. I've already given you that. If we could. In other words, if there were some way that you really could search it out, you couldn't properly weigh them if you could. Now, the reason is that sin biases our thinking so that intellectually we can never perceive truth. See, there's a man say, well, I have been born again. I know the Lord Jesus. I am able then. See, but sin no longer biases me. Why, of course, sin still biases us. There's no question of it. If a man is left-handed before he is born again, he's left-handed after he's born again. If by some means or other he should believe that two and two is six or some other erroneous thing, he will not, as soon as he is born again, jump up from the altar and say, Thank God, I know now that two and two is four. 
He won't have any different thought about two and two. Still, to him, it'll be six. Someone will have to divest him of that idea. They will say, that fact, sir, that you have is not correct. Two and two is not six. It really is four. Oh, no, that can't be. My mother told me, and the generation before her believed it, and we've always believed it. We're Durkins. We know that two and two is six. <laughs> and you just have to work on that until finally the person may come to another conclusion about his fact. But you and I have a bias. Now, we talked about it a little bit last week, an impress of sin. And this impress of sin has biased our whole way of looking at things. Now, we think as humans, like when we read the Bible, we read it. In other words, we think like what happens here is I turn my eyes toward the Bible, and then light bounces off a page and comes up into my eyes, and I see something. And then whatever I see goes into my brain, and that's an accurate rendition of what I see. I wish to tell you that's not how you see it all. You don't see that way. What you do is perceive a lot of little marks on a page, but also at the same time what goes into your brain is a part of what you have seen and a part of what you already believe. So many times you don't even read what is there at all, but you see what's already in your head. Now, I was a man quoted to me years ago, and we were sitting in a Bible study, and I was teaching something. I can't remember the subject. And he said, wait, wait, Brother brother Durkin. Okay. What are you going to do with the scripture that says every tub sets on its own bottom? I said, I don't know. That's no scripture. Oh, it is. He said, I've read it in there many times. He said, sir, you won't find that scripture in the Bible because it's not in there. Say, brother, I know what I know. Okay, I said, why don't you go check that out in the concordance or something. Of course, he never could find it because it isn't in there. But now I'm telling you something in his mind it was in there. He could almost see it on the page. He could almost read it. And as a matter of fact, I would suggest to him that some places he read along there, he heard something that stirred up this little track in his brain, because all of us had these little tracks. They're already grooved in there. You know, like you meet a person say, hi, hi, uh, good day today, isn't it? Yeah, terrific weather. Well, tell you what, we all have a cup of coffee sometimes. Sure, sure. Well, see you now. Yeah, right on. See, the... Now, the person didn't think, now, wait a minute, I'm going to, here's a man coming. His name is uh, Ed Martin. I will say something original to Ed Martin. No, we don't do that. We have these tracks burned, and all we do is, some, as soon as it sets it off, and then we don't do anything more. We just go along next to it. See? Now, occasionally, we stop and we think, but we don't know. We do not know how biased our minds are. That's why we read things in the Bible that aren't there. We're sure we've heard something that was never said. Preachers preach things for years that they know that are in the Bible, but they're never in the Bible at all. They heard it preached by the preacher who preached to them, and then they preach it to the next one, the next one preached to the next one. Not in there. Now, if you understand that, then you begin to say, Lord, this prayer I had to pray. Help me to go through the Bible again like I hadn't read it before. Take away from me my preconceived ideas and let me hear you speak to me from your book. See, I want to hear him. Okay, now that's quite different. Say, well, man, I know and we believe and here's what I feel and I... None of that is going to be true. 
So let's not get caught up with that kind of an idea. Okay. Sin biases our thinking so that intellectually we can never perceive truth. Now let's get this turned to 2 Timothy 3. All right, now let's take a look at first verse there. 7 and 8 is what I want us to look at, but read it so you get the context of But realize this in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. Now, that's the essential sin of all mankind, lovers of self. With that goes love of money because that puts me in a position of power, a position to indulge my propensities and soulish desires. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness. Now, what is wrong with them? Don't sound much like the covenant kind of people we were talking about here from the homeworker last week, does it? Covenant. I make covenant with you, and I will keep that covenant. Blessed is the man that swears to his own hurt and changes not. All right, now this is expressing the last days, the kind of people will exist on the earth, except I pray that among God's people will be like a burning and shining light, men of truth, women of truth, covenant people, holding to a form of godliness. He was, oh, yeah, man, I see people like that every day, on the street, cussing and swearing and drunken dopers, and he's not talking about drunkards and dopers. He's talking about somebody here that holds to a form of godliness. Somebody who says, oh, I'm a church man, too. Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus, too. Oh, man, I believe in God. I'm going to heaven. I holds to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. They say, I don't need that. I know how to do it. I guess I can get this done. They denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households, captivate weak women, weighed down with sins. Doesn't mean to imply, by the way, every woman is weak. But it talks about these are the ones they aim at. They find some just like you find a guy that's not living right for Jesus, and you know what he'll do? He'll zero in on all the weak sheep in your church. Mess them up every way he possibly can. Just watch you, just zero right in on them, see? Same way some of these guys, they zero in on all the weak women, the ones that are in trouble, the ones that are emotionally out. Right, see? And then they go into their house, the Bible says, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning. Give me more facts. Let me study more. I'm going to... I'm going to really get this here. Always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Never. See, all they're learning. See, they're ever learning. See, they aren't like you and I. Now, ask yourself this. Are you ever learning? See, well, most of us are not ever learning. We really should be a, much more about our Father's business than we are. I'll tell you that. And before this Bible school is over, we want that to be the rule. But here's man ever learning. And yet all they're ever learning brings them to, with all their facts, all their knowledge, all their study, all their attainments, is to slip into houses and capture weak women laden down with sins and to be resistant to the truth, self-centered, lovers of money rather than lovers of God. Difficult times. Okay? Now, not so with you. You're going to be different. and You are different. Okay. Now, what then is truth? Okay. Pilate received no answer from the Lord because he asked an improper question. Okay? 
He asked an improper question. The proper question would have been not what is truth, but who is truth. Put that down. Years ago, a friend of mine, starting off a witness, says, walked up to a person and said, Do you know the truth? I said, Oh, yeah. said, What is his name? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you can tell. Okay. What truth is? Pilate received no answer because he asked an improper question. Right answer, right question, who is truth? Jesus properly said, let's turn now to John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way. Now notice, please, not I know the way or I show the way. I am the way. Not I know the truth or I have truth. I am the truth. Not I have life or can give life. All of those were true. He said, I am the life. All right, give me the answer together. Who is true? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. See, now let that sink down in your mind. See, truth must of necessity be a person knowing what we know about life. Now, let's take some other scriptures here. I want to bring on something else. There are some other references here, and we might as well get them since we're right here. Let's take a look at verse 17. Be spared, verse 60 and 70. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. See, Jesus is truth, and here comes the spirit of truth to make Jesus known to us. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you. And we'll be in you now, 15 and 26. When the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. Now look at 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Then look at verse 13, following that up. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now notice the word there, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, all right, Jesus is the truth, then he goes back to heaven to send a Spirit of truth who can abide on all of us and in all of us. This Spirit of truth will now immediately give you a shot of truth, and you know all truth. No. The Bible says now, he will guide you. See, time, road. He will guide you into all truth. So it's going to be then a change, a transformation of your mind and your heart. Now let's take a look here at uh, Romans and twelfth um, chapter. Verse verse and so forth. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies 
right, there's a presentation of something you're going to do. A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world or really this world system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They guide you into all truth so that your mind, with all of its wrong concepts about life, will gradually be replaced by right concepts about life. And I'm not talking about your brain and then your spirit. Transform. See, cleansing ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's true. See, we want to come to that place where we are not only knowing him who is truth, but we now come to know the truth and walk in that truth. All right, now take a look at, please, 1 John 5.20. All right, now what does it say about God the Father? He is the true God. What is true about the Son? He is the truth. What is true about the Spirit? He is the Spirit of truth. See, now therefore we come to the place of what is truth. Truth, then, is a being. Truth is God. Now, let's analyze this in a way, and we can see the, the understanding that it is. So I put a concept of truth. Why truth can only be God. He is the creator of all things. Go back to that point in eternity when the heavens did not exist. Go back to the point where the earth did not exist, and the stars, sun, moon, all things did not exist. No angelic beings existed. Nothing existed that we could properly define as things. What is the only thing that could be said about truth? See, truth is that which is the final, ultimate reality, isn't it? Isn't truth the final, ultimate reality? See, truth isn't like... Uh, uh, is this my hand or is it my foot? Oh, one says, I think it's your hand. Another one says, your foot. All right, the one who said it was my hand, that's truth. That's no ultimate reality. That's a fact, see? And I don't even know if that's so or not. I mean, where did that come from? I don't know. See, if someone had taught me, let's say they had, I had been born, and somebody put me in kind of like a large fenced-in cage kind of over and so forth, and they would like just put food through there, and I never saw anyone else, and finally when I did see, they would point out to me, and I was kind of like, you know, I'd say, and someone said, that's your foot. This is your hand. This is your um, finger. See? And somebody comes to me and says, what is this? You know, like you say to the child, what is this? This is my head. I wouldn't say that. i said, this is my finger. Here is my foot. This is my, whatever the situation would be. I can't even remember that so far. But you see, <laughs> the kind of thing that I'm getting into, we believe what we have been told. Now, to the extent that we have been told improperly, and there are many things we deeply, deeply, deeply believe, our whole moral set of concepts about life, everything that exists and all the knowledge and so forth, we've taught it. Or we studied. If we studied it, we read what somebody else did. Or we observed to the best we could. But most of us have not learned by observation. We have learned by impartation. Mother, father, brother, sister, children, teachers, books, pictures, television, radio, newspapers. See, it just floods into us. I believe this. I feel this. I think this. I totally biased, twisted, worldly 
mentalities. See? Now we come to Christ with those. And his work is to transform us by the renewing of our minds. All right, now, don't mistake salvation for the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't mistake this immediate thing for the end product of what Jesus wants to work in you. They're two far removed things. Although, this is the first part of that, but it's not the end part of that. All right, turn with me now to the Gospel of John 1. And then we read about this one who is truth, and it speaks about him who is truth, Jesus. It says, in the beginning, refers eternity past, was the word, logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning. All things came into being through him. In other words, everything, every principle, every law, every thing that exists, everything, he intelligently rolled it into being. And the Bible says all things are upheld by the word of his power. So every law that continues to exist depends on his continuous impartation of power that that law and principle and reality may continue to exist. My heart beats because there's a continual impartation. The Bible says no man can retain the spirit in the day of death. In other words, when God calls that spirit out, no doctor can do it, no machine can do it. You can keep the body breathing, so you can pump air into the lungs, pile up, and then they drop, and then they so forth. But they say something goes wrong in the brain, it's dead. And once that is dead, they do not know of any way to recall a man back. But Jesus could. When a man was three days dead in the tomb and already rotting, he simply said, Lazarus, come forth. To him, all men are alive. They all hear him. Because he is, he is truth. He is the imparter of all things. So, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. Well, life spontaneously arose, and it was the fortuitous concourse of atoms, and then in the warmth of this and the cosmic bombardation of the earth's amoebas rose, and then this, and then here we are, see? In him was life. Life is not spontaneous. Life is imparted. Life is given, see, through him who is true. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, darkness of this sinful world, and the darkness did not master it or understand it or comprehend it. They couldn't grasp it. They used the darkness. Light confuses. Matter of fact, there's a weapon on the market now that the only thing it does doesn't damage anyone at all. It just gives a burst of very bright light. And a person attacking you, just that's all it does. And a person just suddenly confused. They can't think. See, it isn't just they're just blinded. They can't think. They can't. And after a while, it begins to all come back. The brightness of light, it's like it says when it came into this world. It's like the world just, oh, I don't, what is this? I don't understand what's happening. See, light. He is light, see, against darkness. There came a man from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of that light. This was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, 
and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Speaking of the Jewish people. But as many as received him, without all this vast understanding, observing all the facts, just simply heard Jesus as Lord or whatever it was, they received him. To them gave he the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Hallelujah. Now, that's why the scriptures say grace and truth came or was realized by the coming of Jesus. Now, take a look at John 1.17. Drop on down. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now, it didn't mean that some truth wasn't in the world. People knew that a God existed. They knew that God had revealed himself to mankind. But when Christ came, that was the fullness of the embodiment of truth in this universe. It all was in him. And he walked on this earth. So the Bible speaks about that. So read it again. For law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And then turn with me, please, also to Colossians 2.9. For in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now, let me ask you a question. Why then could Jesus rightly say, I am the truth? I got the scriptures to do it. Give me the answer. Yes. But a special, special something here, this scripture I just gave you, tells it. Yes, all the fullness of the Godhead was in him bodily. All fullness was in him. See, now once you grasp what was on this earth when Jesus came, you will see what men, that's why they said we handled the word of life. We were there, we touched him. See, all the fullness of the eternal God for 30 some years, 32, 33 years, dwelt in him bodily on this earth. And when he spoke, you heard a pure stream of truth. He was truth. He was life. He lightened every man that comes into the world and enlightens every man that comes into the world. Now see, if we begin to grasp what truth is and change it to the word who truth is, our minds then begin to lay aside certain things that we have pursued and we begin to pursue him who is truth. And we begin to pursue his words as the revelation of truth. See, I've asked myself, how would my life be different if, let's say, I had never been taught, somehow in the very beginning of my life, I had come into this world, and the first words I ever heard were scripture. And then at the very earliest possible age, as soon as I knew moral right and wrong, I found the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I never received any other moral knowledge except the Word of God, and from the very beginning I was taught it was truth, and I believed it as truth, and acted upon it as truth, and sought Him who is truth, I've asked myself, how would my life be different? How would my mind be different? How would I perceive the world? How would I perceive people? How would I perceive things? How would I perceive, I can assure you, tremendously different than I now do and have in the past. Now, what God is doing, he says, therefore, do not be conformed to this world or this world's way of thinking. The world has a way it's trying to... Philip says it in a very good way. He says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. 
There's a mold. There's a way that Satan wants you to think about everything in life. Everything. The way he wants you to think about making money, the way he wants you to think about men or women, the way he wants you to think about children, the way he wants you to think about your parents, the way he wants you to think about government, the way he wants you to think about war, the way he wants you to think about life and death and murder and morals. And There's a way that he's continually working to squeeze the world into a mold. Now, many Christians, it's easier to stay in the mold than it is to stay Lord, let me be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may break out of that mold and come into God's mold. What is the mold for God's men and women? So that we may be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's our mold. That we may be conformed to truth. That we may also walk in truth and express truth and live truth and be truth. We never become Christ, but we become like Christ. We never become God, but the Bible speaks about being a little lower than God. See, that he lifts us up above the angels. See, the angels do what they're told. We will come to express truth. Now, as much as we can, then, on this earth, we want to express truth. See, as he did when he was on the earth, he expressed truth perfectly. Now the Bible says you are the body of Christ. Members in particular. He is living... His intention is to live his life through you so that what he does with you and what you do with yourself by yielding to the spirit of truth, by letting this book, we'll get into it a little bit later, what it is and how it works, that you will also as a member of the body of Christ, members in particular, you will let him live through you and express truth in this earth. Amen. Now, truth can never be attained to by unaided human effort, but only by revelation. Now, that's a principle you're going to have to come to accept. This is one that just strikes at the very heart of mankind. I want to believe I can do it. I got the brains. I got the will. I got the strength. I've got... We have nothing. All of our vaunted mind power searching out the everything. Solomon says, though you laboriously and diligently search it out, and take no sleep day or night, you cannot know. Though the wise man say, I know, says he does not know. He does not know. Right? Now, truth can never be attained by unaided human effort, but only by revelation. Turn to Luke 10, 22. We'll see what the Lord says about that. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one... Notice that word, how Scripture is very noted for using absolutes. doesn't always use them because it deals sometimes with human interactions, and there are no absolutes there. But when God speaks, all things, absolute, all things, have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one, absolute again, knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son and someone else. Anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So what it's saying, I can never know who Jesus is, though I search it out all the days of my life. I can never know who the Father is, though I search it out all the days of my life, except what take place. Now, get it, pick it up. 
That's right. See? And the beauty of it is he wants to reveal himself to us. He yearns to do that. But we have to then come to that humble place. See, revelation means I can't know by my unaided human reason. I'm going to reason it out and get all the facts and say, ha, Jesus, I know who you are. He said, you never know. You cannot know. You cannot know. Only the Father knows who the Son is. Only the Son knows who the Father is. But he's and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Say, all right. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians one twenty-one. See, there's certain moles that we have to come into and accept certain positions before God or we can never know anything really important at all. All right, now we will take a look here at verse, we'll start with 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, all right, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe, the learned one? Where is the debater of this age, those who seek for truth in facts and experiences? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, now notice, God did it. See, that's why I say you cannot breach it. There's no way it can be breached. There's no possible way. It says, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Revelation. See, I went down years ago to a place called Mendocino. And Mendocino at that time was like the, oh, the, you know, the far out capital of the world. I mean, the woo, hee, we're looking for truth and realities and, and they were into drugs too and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't that that we're talking about. They were, many of them were like seekers after truth. So they were into this religion, this religion, this religion, this religion, you know, and all, all these wise interactions and these tremendous profundities like, tell me, there's a profundity. You've heard the sound of hands clapping, yes. What is the sound of one hand clapping? Yeah. <laughs> See, now they sit around and they, yeah, what is that? See, now that's where the wisdom of this world leads to. <laughs> now I went down there, I thought it was only to be Six or seven, it's just I heard a little group of Christians were there and they were real weak and they, you know, didn't know what to do and so forth. And they asked me if I'd come by sometime and maybe give them a Bible study or something. And, on my, and one time I had to go down to Los Angeles on business. And uh, so I said, okay, I'll just, this is a good time I can do it. I'll swing by there, tell them I'm coming, see if we can set up for a Bible study one night and I'll just meet them and just give them some good encouraging words in the Lord. And uh, got there and to my surprise, there was not six there, there was about, oh, maybe 35 or 40 people out. And most of them, they told me, said, oh, Jim, I don't know what's happened. Boy, I said, a bunch of the, the most far-out dudes in the place are out here. I mean, they're really into far-out, heavy-duty stuff. You know, they tell me all the stuff they were into. Now, what do you do like that? Do you prove that Buddha isn't the way? Do you prove that Hinduism is not the way? Do you prove that tarot cards don't work? Do you prove that witchcraft is no-no? Well, you can do that if you want. But it usually doesn't work. 
See, because they can, well, I know that I had the one time I put out the tarot cards and it told me that I was going to meet this tall, dark, handsome stranger, and sure enough, I did, and the Yi Ching and so forth. You know what I preached? I preached the most foolish story ever told. I told about his virgin birth. And after every part of it, I said, isn't that foolish? Who believes that? Virgin birth. You believe that? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, everyone said, oh, yeah, virgin birth. I'll tell you, virgin birth. All right, see? You believe that? See, and then I went on and preached about how he grew up. Foolish. The miracles he did. Foolish. The things he did. Foolish. I got all done. I said, the preaching the cross is foolishness to them that perish. I said, maybe there's some of you who don't believe my story. But I said, those that are ordained to eternal life, you believe it. I said, how many of you here tonight believe my story? Twenty or thirty hands went up. We believe it. Now, what happened that cut across all that wisdom that they had, the wisdom of the world, all that knowledge they had? And here I am telling this age-old foolish story and telling it in a very seemingly, like, foolish way. And I said, I believe he is born of a virgin. I don't know why I believe it. I believe it. I believe he healed the sick. I believe he raised the dead. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he raised the... I believe... What cut across that? Him who is true cut across that. And even though with their minds there, suddenly someone comes and reveals himself. Said, I am Jesus who you persecute. Oh, Lord. See, and that night a revolution began down there. And after we went down there and we preached the revival, about a hundred people got saved. See, simplicity of the preaching of the cross. Because I believe in him who is truth. Now, if I'd have gone by my marvelous facts to prove that the earth goes around this way and the sun does this and the heavens do this and the atoms are this way and this, they'd have said there and said, oh, wow, man. See, where are you coming from? When I simply preached him who is truth and he revealed himself, they said, I believe See, him. Now you've got to learn to come to him who is truth for a revelation of himself. He must reveal himself. That puts us on a whole different footing with him, see. Now that almost might be undercutting. Say, well, what are you up there babbling for then, see? Well, because there's a place for my babbling since in the wisdom of God, that's the plan of God. There are teachers. But I'm going to tell you something I can teach from now till the beginning of eternity and all through eternity. And if God doesn't come here, and if your heart isn't set to have something revealed, you won't hear anything here either. See, it's as you want him, then he reveals himself. And then this suddenly, say, oh, I see what that means. Okay. Have you got all that now? Now, something else has been declared to be the truth. Now turn me to John seventeen seventeen. See, I just want to show you how these things are. Revelations of the word. Speaking to his disciples, and he prays a prayer here. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. All right, now, we then have two things that are truth. And only two things. And you will never find anything in all this universe that that could ever be said about again is the truth. Except these two things. Him who is truth, God. And this book. This is the truth. Now, therefore, some conclusions. 
Truth and facts are two different things. Truth can never be known by an intellectual gathering and assessment of facts. Truth is a being. God is truth. And that truth is manifested to us in Christ Jesus through the Word and made clear by the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The truth can only be known by revelation. Therefore, we have a couple of prayers in the Bible that I wish to read to you. Turn with me now to Ephesians 1. Paul prays for something here, and I pray for this same thing for you. Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And here's his prayer. And that prayer is still a viable prayer today. We ought to pray for each other, that prayer. But I think what Paul prayed is still good today. He prayed a prayer, I think, for all time. But I tell you, it ought to be a prayer we pray for each other. You pray that for me. I pray that for you. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what you want. Spirit of wisdom come upon you. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being the spirit of wisdom. A spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of your calling. What have you been called to? Well, I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven. I work at my job at a mill and I'm a doctor, a lawyer, teacher. I'm... Oh, that you may by revelation come to know who you are and why you have been saved and why you are here and what you are learning here and what God has in mind for you. That fulfilled life, the end of it, you look back on it and say, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness now. I am ready to be, see, not, but hallelujah, there's a hope. In the calling. He's praised that our eyes will be enlightened. Now see, I tell you that many Christians have no idea about the hope of their calling at all. They just, well, I don't know. See? And I'm not saying that to downgrade anyone. I'm saying it's a tragic situation that exists in the church today. I pray that you come to know what the hope of your calling is. And you spend the rest of your life getting the rest of the church to know what the hope of their calling is. If you're not just going to settle down and say, oh wow, we had this wonderful knowledge imparted to us, isn't that terrific? I hope you get some too. No, I hope you give yourself to spreading truth. Know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing, all that comes by revelation. You read it in the Bible and never know it at all, unless this Bible is made alive to you by the Holy Spirit. That's why you have to humble yourself and go to him and say, Lord, speak to me out of your word. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. We have to know that. Sometimes we talk about the devil like, oh, the devil is strong, brother. Man, I mean, the devil, he's after me. The devil is getting me. He says, God put all things in subjection under him. What devil well, there's a devil, but you have a name. 
What name? The name of Him who is above every name. The name that everything has been put in subjection to Him who holds that name. And He said, I give you my name. You. You said, when the devil comes, I say, in the name of Jesus, I repeat you. You think that isn't powerful? I tell you, no devil on earth can stand before a man who knows and a woman who knows what that name is. But see, many of us, we use it like a formula. Oh, devil, get away. Jesus, name of Jesus, name of Jesus. See, like some, it isn't a formula. Say, I have been baptized into Christ. I am bathed in that name and that authority has been, I have a revelation of it. Now I know Satan, you've been defeated. In Jesus' name, I rebuke you. Now you're talking about, you're not fair to the devil anymore. I give you power over all the power of the enemy. But that takes a revelation. I want you to have those revelations before we're done here. See? And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. We'll come back to many, many times that prayer there. Very important prayer. Now, go to the third chapter, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, there's Revelation again, with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. In other words, what your brain can understand, but you can know it in your mind, the spiritual mind. Surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now that's revelation. That's glory. Hallelujah. This is Radiance Tape number JD-162, the second of a two-part message by Jim Durkin entitled Truth. Our part is to become what the Bible talks about being a disciple. A disciple means a wholehearted follower, wholehearted learner. See, if I become a wholehearted follower learner, I'm saying to the Lord, you have the truth, I need to be taught. Therefore, I humble myself, sit at his feet to learn. I don't say, you've got Jesus, you've given me in the book, and I'm going to read it, and I'll know as much as you. You know, many people, that's their mentality, very puffed up with their knowledge of Scripture and their understandings and so forth, instead of being very humble learners. I tell our brothers, when I raise up elders, their wives, and deal with them, I tell them very clearly, you won't know any more about running a church. I'm dealing now with a problem in one of our ministries. It's a complex problem. We have every hope that it will come out well, as most of them do come out well. We, we've seen that. But when we sat there listening to it, I just had to say, God, like Paul said, now here's Paul, his great apostle, talk about things that are there for him to deal with. He says, who is sufficient for these things? In other words, he's saying, I don't know anything. Help me, Lord. Then revelation comes. See, it's that attitude of, teach me, O Lord. You're the imparter of truth. I am the receiver of truth. And never, see, like right now, I don't consider myself an imparter of truth. I consider myself only a messenger of truth. I'm receiving it and passing it, and that's, that's all I'm doing. 
healthy. And I don't consider myself, I have attained. I don't think I've attained to anything. I've attained to some things. I've attained through his teaching to know that I don't, I by myself am nothing. It is only what he imparts to me spiritually every other way that I have any value to anybody at all. That must always be your attitude throughout life. You never will attain in the sense of, now I know it. No. You will always know it. You will always have to know it. See, that kind of attitude. So it's one of humility. We'll learn that attitude. It's not natural to humans. The human wants to be able to say, I guess I know how to do that. Take an example. Two people get married. And uh, the guy's really blowing it with his wife. Just really crazy things going on. Like we used to have many times when we'd see young men get married. Submit, woman! See, I mean, that kind of thing. I say, hey, come here, Phil. Come here. Let me speak to you about this now. And so forth and so on. And then uh, vice versa. The things went different ways from the woman's point of view. But you speak to some of the brothers and they say, I guess I know how to handle my own wife. He knows how to handle his own wife? He's never been married before. What's he know about marriage at all? See, and here's this guy, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. There's all this marvelous knowledge of dealing with infinitely complex marriage situations. Instead, if he could even think about how tremendously complex they were, he'd be out his name and say, Oh, God, I don't know anything. Help me. See, and if he did that, then he would rise up and say, Oh, God, now I understand. See, children, child born, given to a parent. Now, you know, I've often thought, what a wonderful thing it would be if children could be born when a man is 70 years old. He'd have much more knowledge about how to raise a child. He'd watch a whole bunch of raise them and say, I think I know how to do that now, see? <laughs> but in fact, he wouldn't know anything more about it then. He would have some pretty good models to look at. But here's this child in his arms or her arms. And I guess I know how to raise my own child. No, we don't. We need a lot of help. And when we get to that humble place, they... I guess I know how to get along in this life. Oh, brother, sister, this complex world about to blow up all around us and the world in flames and moral degradation and ruin facing us on every hand, the world about to go apart financially. I say, oh, God, hold me. I don't know how to get along. Now, I've been pretty successful in my lifetime. If anyone could brag a little, I could brag. Thank God. He said, you brag even a little bit, and then I take it away. I don't share my glory with another. Oh, God, you have given me all things. Oh, God, I will honor you. See, it says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and what? In due time, he will exalt you, because you'll take no credit to yourself. Now, that's the attitude. You have to simply say, God, you're everything. I'm zero. And after all these years of hard work and study and service for the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm finally risen on a scale of from zero to ten, I'm still zero. See, as long as I keep that attitude, God will keep on blessing. That has to be your attitude. Amen. Your desire is what you're looking for is to glorify Him. You don't care how that goes. The Bible talks about those who suffered martyrdom. Rather than obtaining deliverance when they had it within their hands, evidently. They refused it, it says. They, they might attain to a better resurrection. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two things. Where to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better, stay here and labor with you. See, in other words, I think at that point, somehow the Lord had made clear to him that he had a choice. He could say, Lord, I'm tired and I'm weary and I want to come home. All right, Paul, you've labored long enough, come on. 
but he's saying, but I'm in a strait. Lord, I, I want to take care of them too. What do you want to do, Paul? They're the saints that I've given you to watch over. Lord, I want to come home, but I'll stay a while. See, he just wanted to be used for God's glory. It wasn't like he was, oh, I want to be. Now, many times, and I've run into a lot of young ministers that have fallen afoul of their own personalities and were hindered because they never understood this principle. And they, I want to be a dynamic preacher. Why? I want the gifts of healings and miracles and then, yeah, because they see themselves with a big tent maybe and thousands of people and people looking at them, oh, wow, and taking big offerings and man, just chicken on Sunday and so forth and so on. Brother, to be used of God however he wants to use you. That's the key. It's like God is painting a great masterpiece of which you're a part. He wants to put you someplace here. I don't know what that is. It's always far greater if we can only see greatness from his point of view than anything we perceive for ourselves. Our little dreams and ambitions. An old song says, Oh, my hopes, ambitions at his feet and ashes lay. So you have to grasp that and say, Lord, what is your part for me on the canvas of life? See, it's once again that what you want, Lord, not what I want. Now again, I say many of us are filled because of the mold of the world. You know, pick your ambition, pick your goal, and move toward it, and I mean the human will. Now, I'm taking my human will and saying, Lord, here, your will be done, not my will. Now, we have that from the Lord himself, doesn't it? Lord, if it be possible, let this cup, nevertheless, not my will, mine be done. See, now that's the attitude that we have to learn. Without that, there is virtually no revelation except this revelation. You will either have a wrong revelation, in other words, you think you will pursue truth, and you are pursuing it, and in fact, it'll lead you down the dead end, and the end of your life will show that, or you will just come to a frustrated place in life. Now, the other one is if you submit yourself under the mighty hand of God, You'll seem to be in darkness for a while sometimes because like, it's so confusing to your human mentality. But gradually, those kinks begin to be worked out and then revelation comes. And then you begin to move very rapidly along whatever. See, God has a plan for you. Now, if you can believe that, you must believe it because it's the truth. God has a plan for your life, unique to you. No one else has that plan, just unique to you. He's put special gifts and powers in you that are his unique impartation to you. And if you submit yourself to him, humble yourself. Do what the Bible tells you to do. See, we'll show you how to do that as we go along here. Then he will begin to draw forth those gifts. They will come to the front. And what you were meant to do in this life, which is if you do what God called you to do, that will be fulfillment like you never dreamed possible. See, so at the end of your life, you'll say, it was good that I lived. Okay. Psalm 58, 3. Wicked, all of us are in wickedness and sin before we're saved now. The wicked go astray from the womb. What is the rest of that scripture? They err from their birth, speaking lies. Now, here then is speaking of the nature of mankind. He is born into this world, and it says as soon as he does from the womb, he goes astray, speaking lies. That starts off the basic concept here about man's nature. Then we're going to deal with how that nature 
is related to truth, how it is affected by truth and how it looks at truth. All right, now keep that in mind. So then the essential nature of man is all impressed with, twisted with, overlaid, woven through, shot through with lies. Now we'll deal with what those lies are. It doesn't mean that everything he says is like he's a liar. I'm not speaking about that. He speaks lies. Why does he speak lies? Because he's come to believe lies. In other words, his whole mind and being are shot full of lies. And we'll see how those come into the world, all right? So the next one is Psalm 51.5. All right, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In other words, no matter how perfect our mothers are and our fathers are, there's still sin in their hearts, there's still parts of truth, and therefore, what can they do but impart to us same principle. Now take a family where parents were not saved, then the number of lies being imparted far greater. So that our minds we absorb by knowledge and so forth and so on. All right, Romans three twenty three. All right, now we can read all of Romans three there, at least the early part of it. We don't have to do that now, but I want to give it to you quickly as I can. But you should read Romans third chapter there, about down to the twenty third verse. Very interesting chapter there, and we'll get to that in different studies. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why? Because they're filled with those lying mentalities and thought patterns. All right, Jeremiah 17.9. Now, what does it say about the heart? See, we have to believe that. See, we have to say, huh, the heart is desperately wicked because it's been shot full of these lying mentalities and desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Now, the principle is, that by our human knowledge, looking at our own heart, I say, well, my heart's not so bad. Well, I know I do a few bad things, but man, basically I'm an okay guy. See? But the revelation of Scripture says, what about the heart? Desperately wicked. Deceitful above all things. Who can know it? See? Now, therefore, we have to have an understanding of where the heart is when we come to Christ and where the heart is after we come to Christ until it has been transformed where our minds are Go straight in the womb as soon as we're born, speaking lies. Then we grow up, repeating lies, hearing lies, giving lies. The whole world is in darkness, the Bible says. Darkness of what? The truth is not there. That's why when Jesus, being the light, came into the world, it, the world could not comprehend him. What is this? What are you speaking about? What, what is this thing called love? What is this thing called truth? What is truth? They, they couldn't even perceive, like, what is truth? Their minds were so far from truth. Now, they didn't mean I don't know something that I consider to be true. This a red building, that's the blue sky, that... No, they meant that ultimate reality. Man, I know nothing but... Okay. Man is carefully conditioned by Satan from the day of his birth, the moment of his birth. Satan is called the god of this world. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, they just like the God of our world, who is really the owner of this earth, the gold, silver, the cattle on a thousand hills, and the earth and the fullness of it is the Lord. But the God of this world system, the Bible says, is who? The originator of it, the creator of this world system. Who? Yeah, right here. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
we do not preach ourselves. Satan, the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. So it's only in believing, after receiving a revelation. That's why I asked you to look up what happened to a man or woman in Scripture after they had a revelation, and then they did not follow through what happened in their case. And there are several examples of that. They're all bad, by the way. Okay. Now, take a look with me Genesis 3rd chapter. Here's how this lying world system comes into being. Genesis, the third chapter. All right, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden, lie. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. Now, God didn't add that part in there. She added something of her own. That's always a dangerous thing, adding to the word of God, by the way. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. Now, see, more lies. Now, lies are imparted. Now, another lie. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. More lies. Knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. Now notice everything then from her point of view. Her observation of the facts, her weighing of the facts, her conclusions based on the facts indicated to her that it was a wise and good thing to partake of the tree, as opposed to a revelation from God that says, Do not eat of the tree, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. That's revelation. The other is facts. All right. A tree desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were open. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings, and then they heard the voice of the Lord in the garden. I want you to look back, please, at verse 6. And here's how Satan works on the whole world. Here's his methodology, is to impart lies based on reaching three aspects of the human being. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. All right, now, 1 John 2.16. King James says, The lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. You see it here? Pick it out. The light to the eyes is what? Yes. All right. Tree was good for food, flesh, and desirable to make one wise, pride of life. Okay, now those are the three things. And Satan always deals exactly in those areas. There are no other areas he can deal with. Now it's a revelation. He wouldn't have known that naturally. That's Scripture being revealed. See, that's an illumination of truth. Here lays truth. Now, therefore, if we realize where the attack points are and how he uses, he imparts lies. The Bible says it is true. Thy word is truth. His word lies. Bible says he is a liar from the beginning and the truth is not in him. Okay, he's the God of this world, so he's filled the world with lies and the people in it are the product of those lies. Okay. 
And so what are people given over to? Well, of course, you look at it on every hand, you'll see they're given over the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And that's what the whole world is made up of. If you buy this car, your friends will know that you have arrived. Yeah. Pride of life. See? Lust of the eyes. Wow, that is a... See? Whole lusty eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life. Okay. Now, the principle of believe, confess, and act. The principle is this, that the way you learn and finally come to act upon and believe wholeheartedly anything is something is imparted to you. For instance, like at one time, here I'm born, I have no understanding of what a name means or that my name is, or but I absolutely believe that my name is James Durkin. Now, why do I believe that? It's not the slightest doubt. Someone says, well, maybe it's not. Maybe you got mixed up in the hospital. Maybe your mother's fooling you. Maybe, no, it's passed from that stage now. It's come to be my name. Why? Because that name, by somebody who believed, confessed, and acted upon it, imparted that name to me. See, my parents believed that they had the authority and the power to give me a name. They believe that. They believe that because it's been taught to them. They believe that because the law says that's right. They believe that because history and tradition says that's right. Father and mother have the power to give a name to a child. What shall its name be? Well, this, 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 this. How about James? I like that. That's my father's name. I mean, you're going to say, oh, that's your name. I think that's a wonderful name. Let's name him James. They believe that. They confess that. Nurse comes in, have you decided what the name of the little baby will be? His name is James. They believe they have the power to do it, they confess it, and they act upon it. The nurse hears it, she believes it, because they have the authority to do it. She confesses it, his name is James, I'll write that down. James, Frank, middle name, Frank, Durkin, okay, we've got that now. We send this in, birth certificate, they look at us, oh, a new baby's been born, James, Frank, Durkin, we'll put that in the records, that is his name. Now, see, everywhere, believe, confess, and act is being carried out now in relationship to that name. Now, I'm growing up. Come here, James. James, here's candy. <laughs> see? Your name is James. Mama, call James. James, come in here. See? Believe, confess, act. Now, I'm doing a very simple thing here, but pretty soon I say... I'm James. You're James Frank Durkin. I'm James Frank Durkin. Teacher says, what's your name, young man? I'm James Frank Durkin. This is James Frank Durkin class. He's now... And that process goes on. Then one day, don't know where it took place. See, at some point, my mother could have said, we've been fooling you. Your name really is Joe. <laughs> right. And at that point where it had not settled down deeply, it could have been... Not can't be changed. I have believed, confessed, acted upon that until it is rooted very deeply in my whole being. My name is James Frank Durkin. Now, every truth or lie is imparted and comes to be part of you in exactly the same way. You hear it, and you hear it, and you hear it, and you hear it. And you hear it from a person to whom you believe it to be a person speaking truth. Right? Your mother 
there's a man in the moon, and the moon is made of green cheese. Yeah. You know what my mother told me? There's a man in the moon. And it's made of, oh, that's silly. Oh, no, it isn't, man. My mother tells the truth, and she told me that they believe, confess, act upon you. You go out there, just see the eye, see that, and see the no. Yeah, I see the man in the moon. Wow, man in the moon. I wonder, man in the moon, if you could... See? Now, that's how erroneous or true we come to be what we have, first of all, heard, and in hearing it, see, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word. Then we hear it, and we come to believe it. Then believing it, the Bible says, you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. You'll be saved. And then James says, if you believe it, act on it. Now, there's the principle of life. Hear, believe, confess, act. Now, in this world, Satan has therefore made sure we heard certain things that he wants us to hear again and again and again. So I was sitting in my office tonight working on this Bible study, and I heard a thing sound like a shot, probably a cap gun or blank pistol or something, and then some kid out there begins to swear. And he's got a real high-pitched voice, so maybe it's 8, 9, 7, 10, I don't know what. And he takes the Lord's name in vain, just a string of curse words. I shot you, you dirty so-and-so, I, I, I. Now he's learning to, he believes he can now take God's name in vain without damage to himself. He's heard his father do it. Ah, oh, that's me, I think. Kid, you can say it, anything you want. There's no God anyhow. Yeah, there's no God anyhow. I uh, believe, confess, act. Now, Satan has very carefully worked to squeeze men into a mold, a mold of nationalism by which nations will be angry at each other. He's attempted to work that between denominations. We can't talk with you, and we can't talk with you because you and you and you and you... Yeah, I used to believe for years that Baptist people were just not Christians at all. Absolutely believe it. See? And how did I believe it? My pastor said to me at one time, I met a man who was a Baptist. See, I didn't know anything about a Baptist or anything else. He's talking about the Lord. I was talking about the Lord. Here we're having a good time talking about the Lord. And I came home and I was living with a pastor at that time. And um, I said, boy, I had a wonderful experience. They met a Christian over the mill. Yeah? What's his name? Do you read me? Well, I mean, you got a real look. What's his name? See, very fearful. But, uh, what's it, so uh, Watch him, he said. He's a Baptist. See? <laughs> yeah? See? I believe. I believe what I heard something, what I hear. Baptists are bad. <laughs> yeah. And I confessed it. I want to talk to you, fella. Are you? And after that, I said, boy, you got to watch Baptists. Because, boy, Baptists are, you know, I mean, didn't even know what a Baptist was. See? Later on, found out what they were. Found out they were Christians like me, going to the same place, had the same father, were covenant brothers. See? But I'm saying, we are the product of hearing, believing, confessing, acting, and remember, we're born in this world, conceived in iniquity and sin, and go astray as soon as we are born. We're taught lies, hear lies, repeat lies, and live in a world of lies. Now, that impressive sin is all over us. All kinds of things we believe, not, not scriptural at all. But after we get to be Christian, we say, here's something I believe. Well, have we tested it against the book that the Bible says? This is true. Okay. Third principle. It's what I call fact, 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 conclusion. Now, as far as moral issues are concerned, we're not talking about learning things which are true and like 
learning how to repair an automobile, learning how to build a rocket ship. I mean, these things have nothing to do with moral. God's not dealing with those areas there. The Bible says whatever man, I mean, not whatever a man, but whatever man sets his mind to, he can do. I mean, that's way back in Genesis, makes that point clear. And the only thing that cuts him off is death. See, men have believed 2,000, 3,000 years ago they could fly like a bird, and they believe that. All right. Today they're flying like birds and even better than birds. I mean, further, faster, higher, further, so forth and so on. So on. But God's not concerned with that kind of thing. That is nothing. It's the moral realities that are important. Fact, 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 conclusion. Here's the way he does it. Satan points to you and says, here's a fact. And you look at that and say, yeah. And then he gives you another fact and another fact. I use fact, 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 three facts. But I mean, it might be 30 facts, it might be two facts, it might be what it is. And then he carefully helps you to draw a prearranged conclusion. Now let's take an idea. I'm a child growing up. I'm sitting at the table. Let's say I'm a several brothers and sisters. I didn't have as an only child. But let's say several brothers and sisters, mother and father, and one's at one end, one the other, and all the brothers and sisters at the table. And I say we have biscuits and gravy and meat and whatever's there. And uh, finally gets down to one biscuit, and I want that biscuit, and I'm three years old for him. And let's say here's big brother. He's 10 and 11, and another one is 14. And... Uh, they all see that one biscuit at the same time, and I start to reach for my little paw. And then here's the all the brothers, and big brother gets there. Get him! Biscuit! Ah, yes! Ah, you and big brother needs that more than you do. Now you forget that. And... Okay, here's a fact. Fact was, there was biscuits on the table. Fact, one biscuit. Fact number two, I wanted the biscuit. And fact number three, others wanted the biscuit. Right? Now, those are facts. Those are facts. I can look at that and say, oh, the biscuit was there and I wanted it. If they wanted it too, conclusion. The guy that's biggest, the toughest, the strongest, he gets the biscuit. <laughs> conclusion for me, I'm going to be biggest, toughest, and strongest. And when I get up, I'm going to get the biscuit for myself. <laughs> that's right. Now, all my life, unless something changes that thing, that'll be the way I view life. I'm going to be the, see? And so there are statements in the world that say that the strong take it from the weak and the smart take it from the strong. There are all kinds of, all kinds of little sayings like that that indicate that's how, and where did they get that? Observing. Or maybe their father spoke up and said, let that be a lesson to you, kid. You want to get the biscuit? You got to get in there fastest with the mostest or you don't get the biscuit. Yeah, that's the message. <laughs> that's right. So we grow up with that lie. See? Now, there are a whole lot of other lies, too, that the whole world is shot full of it. So the Bible talks about we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may prove what the will of God is, that it's good and perfect and satisfies all of his demands and so forth and so on. Okay. Fact, 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 conclusion. That concerns itself with moral issues. All are circulating around a basic self-centered point of view. I, me, my, mine. I want, I must have, I demand, you must give me, I have a right to. Say. The whole being must become wholly converted and must be wholly converted to a God-centered viewpoint of life. And that's where purpose and vision comes in. That we give ourselves over to living for the glory of God. That in our living and our dying, he is the center of our lives and we no longer are. I want my home to be right. I want my finances to be right. I want my church to be right. I demand that my... No. Father, I want you to be glorified. 
if I die in some corner of the earth unsung and unheralded, but you're glorified, then amen, Lord. That's the way it should be. I want to live for your glory. Lord, it's my ambition always. I want to be a famous artist. I want to be a famous painter. I want to be a famous singer. I want to be a... Lord, I want you to be what you want me to be. What have you planned for my life? You're the center of my life, Lord. I want you to be glorified. Different point of view, see? Now, without that point of view coming into your heart, you'll never be able to get rid of that system of lies because it's all based on, yeah, poor guy. You're entitled to some good things out of life. You're entitled to somebody who to see you for what you really are. Smart, noble, kind, pride of life. And you should have things that make you, yeah, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh. See? Watch that. That's the warfare. The warfare isn't against the devil, except in a sense of like... This old thing years ago, there was something on TV called Flip Wilson or something like that. He always used to come down and say, the devil made me do that. The devil can make you do nothing. All he can do is do just what he did to Eve. He didn't come in there and say, I'm the devil, I'm here for some devilment, and I'm going to make you do bad things. He, he knew he couldn't do a thing. All he could come and say is, just throw a suggestion out. You see, isn't that tree beautiful? God's trying to keep it from you. Isn't that, don't you really want... Isn't that what you really want out of life? Yeah, I want. See, that's all he can do. And then if you finally agree with him and believe what he says and confess what he says and act upon what he says, then darkness settles upon the mind and the heart and the being, and then we follow him. All right, now we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So it all circulates around that basic self-centered position of our lives, which must be wholly converted to a God-centered point of view, which is purpose and vision. To accept as truth what God says is true. To realize from Scripture how we come to know and live truth. Now, turn with me to John 8:32. Now, remember that truth is what God says is truth. He's the only one that can know what truth is. And we'll look at John 8:32, and then I'll give you the starting point here. But I want to show you something pretty interesting the way this is worded. Okay. Now we'll start back with verse 31. John 8, 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Now what do you think it means to abide in the word of the Lord? Abide in the word. What do you think it means? Pardon me? Live it. Good. In other words, if that becomes the expression of your life, you are doing what the Word of God says. And Matthew 7, we'll talk about that a little bit later. We talked about a wise man, a foolish man. We talked about that last week. We've heard it many times. See, if you abide in my Word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Or a person gets saved, I'm a disciple of the Lord. Maybe not. In a kind of a general, fuzzy sense, yes. But the Bible says, if you abide in my Word, then you truly are disciples of mine. Not just by position, but you have become in action. And that's now, he said. And, if that's true, if you abide in his word, you're truly disciples of his, and you shall know the truth. See? Now, this is a funny thing. We just said Jesus is the truth. 
But you come to know him. No, in fact, you have not. The Bible says he knows you. You don't know him. You have received him. You have met him. You don't know him. It is as you walk with him in his word, then you will come to know him. Amen? See the difference there? Very important. You understand that. You, you, and I, when we are saved, Jesus, here I am, a rank sinner. I say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. He comes and says, I know the Lord. Not really. It's kind of a loose sense. It's okay to say that. I don't mean you should get like real technical about that. But you don't really know the Lord. All right, let's see. I've met some of you folks now. Shook your hands first time I'm here. And I say, oh, yes, I know. Oh, I mean, I have become acquainted with. I have met them. There has been a formal introduction. There has come a relationship that is beginning. But after I walk with a person a year, two years, five years, and I begin to study them, and I, and pretty soon a person can say, hey, do you know uh, Joe Edwards? And they go, oh, yeah, I know him. I know him. How many I know him? I walk with him. I see how he acts under pressure. I see what he does, what he's, I see what, I know him. All right. So the Bible says, you shall know the truth. A man gets saved, a woman gets saved, say, oh, I know the truth. No, we mean we know him who is truth. It will now take some doing to undo all the lies that's in our head and spirit and mind. The Bible says, cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. The Bible says, and you shall know the truth. And what? The truth shall set you free. See, that's... Now, you've been set free of some things. But you aren't anywhere near free of the things that God wants you to really be free of. See, that's coming. Okay, now, starting point then. You need an unchanging point of view, a reference point from which you can put all life in perspective. In other words, you need to stand, like physicists say, from some frame of reference. Say a reference point which is unmoving. So you can stand on that. In other words, if the world is moving and you're moving and your frame of reference is moving, you don't know where you are. But if your frame of reference is solid, so it doesn't move, and you say, I know this doesn't move, then you look and you say, oh yes, I see the world is moving around me to the left, or the world is moving around me to the right, or... See, so when you're navigating, what makes navigation possible? The fact that stars, they're fixed, or they're so distant in their movement, it hardly is any movement at all. So they can fix on that and say, oh yes, in relationship to that star and this star, we are here. And you can know it with certainty. You need a frame of reference that doesn't move. All right. This frame of reference is the Word of God. It is the unmoving frame of reference. If you're left to human reason about what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what is noble and ignoble, you find that that changes with generation and generation. The Word of God speaks the same at all times like this. You need a frame of reference. This is the Word of God. It is the heart and mind of God revealed. So if God were in this room tonight, which he is through his Son, Jesus Christ, as he is in this room, if he were to speak to us directly, you went to him and you asked him any question about morals and about life, you would receive no answer other than what is in the Word of God. It is a complete and a perfect and a total revelation. Jesus said, Thy word is truth. I am truth. Your word is truth. 
Okay. It is truth expressed. All contention in the Christian must cease in the heart, and all argument end with the truth. And every tragic thing I have ever seen in a Christian's life, the Bible says whatever a man sows, whatever a woman sows, that shall they also reap. You must either sow to the flesh, lies, or sow to the spirit, truth. If you sow to the flesh, the Bible says you shall of the flesh reap corruption. It doesn't matter. See, the interesting thing about it, I told a man some years ago, he did a certain thing, wouldn't repent of it. The minister, I said, sir, I will tell you this. You may go someplace else and start another ministry, but it'll catch up with you. And I don't care how fast you run and how far you go, it'll overtake you. You haven't repented. That man just recently has come to ruin in his ministry again, third time, once here, twice in another place. He wrote me a letter saying, I repent that I did not listen to you before. I don't know if he's really repented or if he's just trying to get the pressure off his back. I don't know about that. But I'm going to tell you this. If you will walk in the truth, your life will be filled with good things. You've got to learn to do that. Although at times when you're doing it, it seems like the craziest thing in the world because we've been bathed in lies. See, to do what this book says at times, man, if I did that, people run all over me. Man, if I did that, people would, man, if I did that, that's what happened to me in a... I've learned one thing. If I do this, all that I thought may happen to me may happen to me. But when it's all over, I'll still be on my feet, and I'll still be moving down that road to what God called me to do. And my enemies who come against me one way will flee seven ways. When it's all over, I'll be victorious. I've seen it time and again. I pass it on to you now. Learn to walk in the truth. Like you need a frame of reference. You, you judge like Okay. Since we cannot arrive at right conclusions by the fact, fact, fact conclusion, because we're all filled with phony conclusions, wrong conclusions, we need another. We need a proper set of conclusions arrived at about life which are true and perfect. This is what the Bible is. It is a book of perfect conclusions about life. Put that down. Be good for you. It's a book of perfect conclusions about life. There are parts of it hard to understand. But these concern themselves with eschatology and certain theological viewpoints, but not with action. It is the action principles that open the way to understand the heart and mind of God. Right, John seven seventeen. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, if the man will do what the Word of God says, he shall know of the teaching. It will be very clear to him that the Word of God certainly is the Word of God. Now, I'd like you to turn, please, to Second Peter. And I want you to see the emphasis that it makes here on the doing. Second Peter 1. And we're going to look at verse 1 to 13. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, we've got the knowledge of the devil's ways, now want the knowledge of God and his ways. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us 
by his own glory and excellence. Now notice this word knowledge keeps popping up again and again. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, just as we have been partakers of the devil's nature, so now we will partake of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, see, that's what brings us into it. Now supply moral excellence, in other words, the doing of the word of God. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, Christian love. See, now do you understand here that none of these things concern themselves with difficult concepts at all? He's saying love one another, be kind to one another, search the heart of the Lord Jesus out. See, that's not, oh man, I, I, I really want to know uh, the date when the Lord's coming. And I really want to know who the Antichrist is. And I want to really know who, who Cain's wife is. And I really like to know who... <laughs> you ever see Peter saying, man, really get in the Word of God and try and find out the date the Lord's coming back. And really search out with all your heart and find out who Cain's wife is. And uh, see... Preacher got up one time. He said, come tomorrow night, I'll tell you who Cain's wife is. People showed up from everywhere. Who is she? Mrs. Cain. <laughs> they deserve that. <laughs> Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the true knowledge about him, but of him. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having, for what does it matter if he knows all the mysteries of the world? He's blind and short-sighted and can't see truth. Yet he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. In other words, what does he want for you? Make sure you pursue that. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Isn't that a powerful promise? You will never stumble. They say, oh man, I'm just stumbling all the time. Well, of course. You know why people stumble? They can't see what's in front of them. They're either looking up when they ought to be looking down, or they're looking down, they can't see it anyhow because they're short-sighted, blind, can't see afar off. Jesus said, if these qualities are in you, through his apostle Peter, if these qualities are in you, they will make you so that you will never stumble if you practice these things. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will abundantly be supplied to you. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. See, because the mind, though you know them, like when you're reminded, say, oh yeah, I knew that, but they're not ready to the mind, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider as right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Now, do you notice these are not abstract concepts? These are action concepts. All right, do you see it now? We're going to start acting out this word, because in acting it out, we come to the knowledge of the truth, and it sets us free. Hallelujah.